Good morning. So, um, Cole had a uh, vision actually close to what Yaku said this morning, um, a couple a couple weeks back, about he he said we were at uh, men's prayer and he said that he felt and saw a vision of. God like, a, uh, like the ball at New Year's, but it was a heart and it was coming down into the world. And when it came, it exploded into the world. <laughs> um, and I, that vision has stuck with me for the upcoming weeks preparing for this because according to church calendars, um, we're in a time of Advent. Actually, not even church calendars alone, but even chocolate calendars. People sell the chocolate calendars, you open it, and the chocolates lead you all the way to Christmas Eve. Um, so Advent, like eating a chocolate each day, each day we prepare our hearts, we remember of the coming of Jesus. It's, a, it's like an honorary celebration of Jesus' coming, baby Jesus in the manger, the whole picture that we see each year. But with the vision that, uh, that Cole had and Yaku mentioned this morning, Advent also has a different aspect for us today in our context as Christians, as people following the, the kingdom of God. And the second aspect is the second Advent. It's, Christmas is a, is a shadow of the things to come from the second coming of our Lord Jesus. The Bible speaks about this all the way through. There's te- Old Testament prophets. We'll look at some Old Testament stuff, but the New Testament speaks about it, and it's something I'm going to zone in on for today. Um, because it's something I feel God wants to remind us of. He wanted to remind me of. I'm coming back. Things matter. We're not just here in the mundane. There's, there's a purpose to our lives. Like Chris mentioned a couple weeks ago, the butterfly effect. That butterfly effect is a phenomenon because our lives matter, because Jesus is coming back. So we'll be in Second Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 4 to start, and then we'll skip... Quickly to verses 8 and 10. So it re, uh, Peter writes, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on, goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Move to verse 8. Peter says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The day of the, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Paul, in this letter, again, he, he writes, it's his second letter writing to the church, to, the, to his readers, and he's fighting off some accusations that 
we can, if we think about it, it could be that have infiltrated the church or it's false teachers trying to attack the church. And the main goal of this false teaching is that everything is going on the same. You guys preach about this Jesus that came and sure, he lived a good life like what Kath said. He said a bunch of things that make us feel certain ways, but nothing's happening. Where is this promise of your second coming? Where is this king and this savior that you're talking about? Nothing's changing. And Peter wants to fight that those accusations, he will not let the church, the believers, the mission of the believers to believe this and fall to this. And what he says is what Cass spoke about last week, actually, talking about remembering. Peter wants to remind his readers, he wants to remind us, God wants to remind us today that God did speak, that God did do something, that God will do something. It's this reminding ourselves and remembering and lifting each other up in the things that God has done for our lives that keeps us in this flow of joy, keeps us in the, in the flow of peace to be able to love ourselves and love other people. So the question, the question that we have to ask ourselves is what, what did the Holy Prophet say? What were the words of the old prophets that Peter says it happened? God spoke through them and it happened. We'll look at some of these just very briefly. And it's about the old prophets mostly spoke about a coming of a savior and Jesus did come. That's why we celebrate Christmas. So let's look at just some of these uh, prophecies. In Micah chapter 5 verse 2, it claims Jesus or their savior would be born at Bethlehem or in Bethlehem. Genesis 49 verse 10, that he would be from the tribe of Judah. The savior for the Israelites or the nation would come from the tribe of Judah. Zechariah 9.9, that the Savior or the King would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Zechariah uh, chapter 11, verse 12, that the Savior or the Messiah would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Psalm 22 speaks about a Messiah that would be tortured to death. The whole psalm is about the Messiah. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, that the Messiah would come before the destruction of the second temple. If we remember what Jesus said, that he was coming out of the temple after clearing it, and he said, this temple will be broken, no brick on left, and I will resurrect it in three days. So it did happen. And Isaiah chapter 52 uh, and 53 speaks about the trial, death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God. This is very important that Peter is telling his readers, remember these things. Take, for example, Isaiah 52 and 53. He prophesied those things. The prophet Isaiah prophesied those things 700 BC, meaning 700 years before Jesus ever came on earth. Before Jesus was laid in that manger, Isaiah prophesied that, his life happening 700 years before that. The glory and wonder of it should, should, the readers and us today should look at that and go, my goodness, something's happening here. My goodness, something great happened. In fact, we're in the year 2018 because everybody acknowledges something happened that day. And Peter Stoner, uh, Peter Stoner is a chairman of departments of mathematics and astronomy at Pasadena College. Very passionate guy about biblical prophecies. So what he does is he takes 700, uh, 600 students from InterVarsity uh, Christian Fellowship. And he wanted to look at eight specific prophecies. Don't ask me which eight. I was just reading an article about this. <laughs> so they came up with an extremely, Peter Stoner says, conservative structure to look at these eight prophecies and the probabilities for each one being fulfilled and then consider the likelihood of Jesus fulfilling all eight of them. 
So he says, let us try to visualize this chance. If you mark one of 10 tickets and place all of the tickets in a hat, so just like a little raffle, and thoroughly stir them. So he's marked one, 10 tickets, thoroughly stirs them in a hat, and blindfolds a man and tells the blindfolded guy, pick the right ticket. What would his chances be? One in 10, simple, right? So he goes, now suppose that we take 10 to the power of 17. I haven't done math in a long time, but if I plugged in the numbers right, we've got a probability or a number of tickets around the number of 241 million tickets. So he says, take 241 million tickets around there, make them silver dollars. So let's take a quarter or a loonie. And he says, 241 million quarters or loonies, lay them on the face of Texas. These quarters or loonies would cover the state two feet deep. So about that deep, the whole state of Texas. He says, mark one of these silver dollars. Stir them thoroughly around the whole state. Blindfold a man. Tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, feel his way as far as he wants, but he must pick out the one silver dollar and make sure it's the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? One in 241 million. Here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. It's the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these prophecies and having them all come true in any one man from their day to the present time, providing that they use their own wisdom. If those guys, the prophets, used their own wisdom, they would actually have a chance, one in 241 million, to get those prophecies right. But that, it's, it's, that's un, impossible in man's wisdom to think 700 years from now, we're going to prophesy about eight things, and it's actually going to come to pass in one man. The prophecies were supposed to happen, but they're saying in one man, it's impossible. God's wisdom. It's incredible. And this is what Peter is saying. Remember these things. It was impossible for something like this to happen. And Peter doesn't just end there. If we remember the, the verse we first read, he says, and remember what Jesus said, and now the apostles are saying. What did Jesus say? Matthew chapter 24, verses 35 to 39. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will, that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So it's... As we, as we think about Christmas and as we prepare our hearts for Christmas and the, and the baby in the manger and specifically with, uh, with the word today about the second coming of Christ, it's almost like, like in the days of Noah, if we're preparing for Christmas but nobody ever told us what day Christmas would come on. This is what we're talking about here. Noah was told to build an ark because something would happen but he never knew what day the flood was actually going to come. He never knew what day it was going to start raining. So what would he be found doing if the rain came and he wasn't prepared? If he hadn't literally lived his life according to the promises that God told him, that I will use you to be a blessing to all the nations. And Peter and Jesus talk about this day. This day of the Lord is the theme that goes back all the way to Exodus chapter 12 and 14. And in Exodus... It's about the Israelites 
their day is being saved and released from uh, bondage from Egypt. That was their day. They called that their day of the Lord because they were released from their bondage, from their oppressors. The Israelites looked, the ones that believe, looked at the baby, uh, the baby Jesus coming as another day. We look at the cross as our day of the Lord. We have been saved from our sins, our trespasses, everything that we look back to, that was our day of the Lord. And there's another day that's coming. We can see this in the last book of the Bible in Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 to 7. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, This is a vision that John got. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. The vision, that the, the, the words that speak out to me is, it is done. Jesus said that on the cross, our day of the Lord, and we look to another day of the Lord. It is done. When all our tears, tears will be wiped away, all death will be wiped away, all, all pain will be wiped away. And Jesus says, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And this is why it is, and I agree, and we should all agree, it is the most wonderful time of the year. Because we look at the, the life of Christ, celebrate it for what he has done, but we all actually in expectant joy and hope look to what he's going to do. The vision that Cole had, the heart coming and exploding on everybody. Uh, Yaku saying, Captain America, with his hands open, saying, I'm coming back for you guys. He's actually coming back for us. Well, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And um, Peter, <laughs> Peter, again, he's, he's battling that unbelief that the people that he's writing to are falling to the lies of the devil like we sang falling to the, to the way of the world, the mundane, getting stuck in the mundane of nothing's really happening, nothing's happened since the beginning of the world, and in fact, nothing's been the same. Absolutely nothing's been the same. And the New Testament, according to theologian Henry Thiessen, the New Testament talks about the second coming around 300 times. This is something very important to what God thinks of the end. So the question for us today is, as we prepare our hearts and minds for Christmas and for the second coming of our King, what are we doing while we wait? And it may seem like a rhetorical question, what are we doing while we wait? Well, we prepare for the feast, we do this, but it's, it's a lot more than that. And especially for the second coming, it's a lot more than that. And to illustrate this, in Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 51, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Now everything has happened, he's resurrected, he, it says um, he told them that everything written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms was all about me, and he opened up their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Um, and he says to them, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, the Holy Spirit, but stay in the city, wait until you have been clothed with power from on high. And then... 
says, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And the disciples are caught looking at Jesus and this wonderful, glorious vision of Jesus and the ascension that the Bible talks about or theologians talk about, the ascension of Christ into heaven. And the disciples are just caught. My goodness. Right? Just what is happening here? This glory and wondrous vision, what's happening here? And then if you skip quickly to Acts chapter 1, verses 10 to 11, Luke writes, Luke, and he write, writes Acts. He continues the story in Acts. He says, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And it's, I read that and it's almost like we're all sitting here and me and Alessandro are just watching everybody just, you know, holy moly. And me and Alice are the angels or any two of us are the angels and like, Red Hill, why are you guys looking into the sky? Don't you know he's coming back? Don't you remember the words he said? Like Yaku said, go out, disciple the nations, Jerusalem first, Judea and all the world. Don't you know that your life matters? And we're, huh, we're just stuck. <laughs> right? And Jesus is like, guys, the Holy Spirit, he's filled you. He's given you the power. Go and do this. Continue this kingdom. The kingdom is ever increasing. Go and live it out. And, you know, in our culture, in our context, we prepare for so many things. We know how to prepare for so many things. We'll prepare to graduate school. We'll make everything happen to make sure we graduate school. Uh, a little tougher this next one, but we'll make sure we'll get a good job. Sean will know what I'm talking about. Good job. And we prepare every way we can to get this good job. We'll prepare our hearts. We'll prepare the way we talk or the way we look or the way we act to, you know, have this perfect marriage and have the, the best looking person beside us, all of these things, to have children, or some of us, a little on the upper escalon of age, will prepare for a retirement, a nice fancy travel the world type of retirement, right? Right. No, it's true. I, would, I, I want that too, right? But the, the, the truth of the matter is our deepest longings, our deepest preparation that we find joy and satisfaction is, is for the coming of our king. That's the way we should be preparing. We are the, he's the bridegroom coming for his bride. Our deepest longings will be where our hearts are as well. What will he find us doing? Where will he, will he find our hearts? Will he find us saying, Lord, 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 but we're doing this for you. And he's going to say, I never knew you. Your heart's not there. You're just doing this because it's part of your mundane life. And it's much more than that. No, and he, he comes back and my, my heart with this picture of love exploding that we may not be found stuck in a corner thinking about the good old days, but in the meantime, stuck in sorrow, stuck in anxiety, thinking about the things we've lost or, you know, the people that don't like us or the people that don't accept us, you know? Nothing has ever been the same, and this is God's heart speaking through Peter. Nothing's been the same since he said, the heavens and the earth were created. Let there be light. Nothing's been the same since he said, let us make man in our image. 
Nothing. And again, as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, nothing has been the same since the shepherds looked at that baby Jesus in the manger. Nothing will be the same for us as we think about Christ on a cross paying our sin. So what will he find us doing? Jesus explains this in a parable. It's in Matthew 25, verses 1 to 12. It's known as the ten virgins. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them are foolish, five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Therefore keep watch, because we don't know the day or the hour. Imagine Christmas, us preparing for Christmas not knowing when Christmas was going to come, not knowing when the people at your door are going to say, hey, it's Christmas today, you, this year it's your turn to host, what, what's going on? How are we going to find ourselves grumbling about that we have to be hospital now and make sure we look hospital? No, it's a lot more than that. It's a lot more than that. How we act in the present is deeply impacted by what we think of the future. You know, me and Arrows growing up, We used to get home from school, and we had a pretty busy schedule like all kids these days. And um, we were supposed to have some chores done, make sure if we can finish our homework, get our homework done quick, because we had to go to soccer in Toronto. And my dad would come home from work, not eat, pick us up, drive us to Toronto. But again, me and Eros's heart, selfish little kids, you know, we'd get home and we'd think we have enough time to play FIFA. We love playing FIFA. We can sit here and play a couple video games. You know, we'll, he usually gets home at 4.30. At 4.15, we'll stop. We'll, me and you, we'll, we'll get everything done in 15 minutes. We don't know the day or the hour. Every single time we decided to do that, the door would unlock me and Harold would jump. What the heck's going on? I told you we shouldn't have played. We didn't know the day or the hour. So my dad, rightly so, comes in, doesn't have any snack that me and Harold could have prepared for him, doesn't have any time to rest. And me and Harold's response if we look at it biblically, is, but God, uh, dad, dad, we, we were doing this, and we were doing this, and my dad is like, it doesn't matter anymore. The day or the hour has come, it doesn't matter. 
our hearts selfishly were not thinking, let's, let's make sure we're prepared for when our dad gets home, we can possibly maybe sit down, relax for 15 minutes, eat something with him, the banquet that God is preparing for us. And again, let's look at specifically the day of the Lord of the Israel nation in Exodus 12 that I mentioned earlier. From verses 7 to 14, so God, God is telling them, I'm going to deliver you. He sent Moses, let my people go, let my people know, go. Most of us know the story. If not, we'll talk about it after. It's a very cool story. <laughs> but God is telling them, I'm going to save you, but there's something you need to be doing. There's something that needs to be done. There's a way about this. And, and God says, Then they shall take some of the blood in their preparation for this day of the Lord. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They were supposed to sacrifice a perfect and unblemished lamb to cover their, their sins and smear the blood on the doorposts. They shall eat the flesh of the lamb that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread, Unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. In verse 14, this day shall be for you a memorial day, our Christmas, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. The blood of the lamb that they smeared on the doorpost, our picture of Jesus, it's a symbol of Jesus, that the blood, the power of the blood would, would, would cover them, would protect them for what was about to happen. And he says to them, you need to eat this food. You need to drink the blood, eat the body like we do in communion. But you need to do it in such a way that your shoes are on, your belt is, is ready to go, your jacket's on, your walking stick's ready to go. You have to eat it prepared to go when the day or hour comes. And it's crazy because I played competitive soccer growing up and when we, Eros and I got a scholarship to go to the States, We got this scholarship, we weren't really too excited about it, but we wanted to do it anyways. And we said, oh, we had about like three months to prepare physically to go down there for a preseason uh, pre camp. We're good enough, we'll, uh, we'll prepare two weeks before we go down. So we prepared really hard for two weeks, we go down there. Needless to say, the team was the best darn team we ever played on in those first two years. The guys were excessively bigger than us, stronger than us, faster than us. My, my first year was a mess. I, never, I think I played a total of 90 minutes, which is one game we played 20 games. So not at all. Eros' first impression was so bad. Sorry to call him out. Eros' first impression was so bad, the guy got benched for two years. He didn't play for two years. You know? And it's a funny story that I think about because I didn't know the day or the hour. I thought I was prepared for something. I get there, the doors are open, and it was a war to get on the field. There was a, a group of 40 guys waiting to get on a list of 18 every single game. If you weren't prepared for the day or the hour that you were called on, you're done for. For the whole year, you were done for, right? 
And the moral of the story is athletes are always told, always be ready, always be game. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so God wants his people in the same fashion, always ready to go, always ready to go. And again, if we look at it practically, because it's always ready to go, Eric, but uh, God, what, 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 is, what does this mean? What does this look like? Peter does this for us. God uses Peter to show us this. In, first, in his first letter, chapter 4, verses 7 to 11, it shows us practically what Peter is talking about. And it's not looking at the sky like the disciples. It's not camping around where that vision happened because it's holy ground. No, no, no. It, it was nothing like that. Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. Verse 7. Therefore, to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers... Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the heart of Christmas. We have received gifts. We know the truth about what God has said, God has done, God will do. And we serve each other. We love one another for the glory and dominion of God forever and ever. And Jill said this in one of her articles, recent articles that she wrote. She said, in speaking about this good gift, a good gift imitates the greatest gift to ever be, Jesus May we be imitators of this great gift as we faithfully, expectantly, and joyfully wait on the coming of our Lord Jesus. And I'll end with a, with a quote from Michael Bird. He speaks on the second coming. It is the end of the story that tells you what the story was really all about in the first place. What the second coming tells us is that the end, the end as God intends it, is about God bringing his justice and peace to earth and healing the pain of the world by uniting himself to his creation through the Son, so that God may be all in all and fill all things in every way. We should never forget that Jesus' return is the fulfillment of our longing for divine intimacy, our being with God and enjoying him forever. That is the blessed hope that the second coming sets before us. So, Father, I thank you, I thank you for your, your mighty word that enlightens, it, it, it comes alive for us when we think about it, when we read about it. That you said you would do something and you've done it. Father, may we be faithfully patient with you, knowing that a day is like a thousand for you, or a thousand is like a day. May we see your patience not as weakness, not as something that um, we feel like you're far off and you're not doing anything about it, but may we see the glory of it, that it's patience so that everybody could come to know the name of Jesus, that everybody would come to bow and praise your name, Lord. May we see your goodness and your love, your grace. And as we wait and prepare, God, may your discipline be the one that we are satisfied in, that we long to have and to hear. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.